0: The following program is brought to you by Caltech. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you for all coming. I, I think that this is going to be an exciting uh, set of lectures. Um, we're going to have four lectures uh, in this short course, and the first one is going to be given by uh, Dr. Slava Turishev. Um Slava is one of our colleagues at Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Um, he's been there for for a while and he's a research scientist uh, he got his phd and masters both from uh, university of uh, or moscow state uh, moscow state university in russia in 1990 and 1987 respectively um, during the time that he's been at jpl he's thought a lot about uh, gravitational uh, experiments that could be done in space um, he's thought about uh, relativistic cosmology and alternative theories for for gravity He's worked on uh, lunar and interplanetary laser ranging, uh, pulsar uh, timing experiments. Um, He's done work on long baseline optical interferometry. And the list goes on, so I'll uh, stop there. Uh, But he has a very broad background, and he's been around um, and doing a lot of interesting research. So it's a great pleasure to introduce him to give our first lecture.
1: Thank you, Boris. And uh, good morning, everyone. I'm um, very pleased to be here today at this wonderful auditorium, and we are going to talk uh, about uh, testing relativistic gravity in space, because this is what I like, and this is why I came to JPL, because it's a wonderful place to be in, and uh, essentially because we have so much different uh, data that can be used for uh, testing gravity. And this is the focus of my uh, talk today. So we will uh, talk about the brief history of those tests, how they were conducted, and then uh, we'll move into the progress, uh, recent progress that was achieved uh, recently, and then we'll probably talk about future directions where the test might go. So the outline of my talk is here. So um, get ready for many tables, many uh, charts, graphs, but basically that would provide you a nice overview, I hope, for uh, basically the history of test of general relativity in the 20th century. Then uh, we'll talk about frameworks that we were using to test gravity, essentially parameterized post-Newtonian formalism. And then we'll talk about robertson mansuri Sexel framework that was used to test special relativity specifically. And then uh, I will highlight recent progress in the tests of uh, gravity that we achieved in the 20th century. And then moving on to the present day, uh, what are the motivations to uh, achieve even higher precision in the tests? And then what is to expect in the near future? And basically, we'll just, I will highlight a few um, uh, experiments that were proposed recently, and then we'll see if the time permits. I will talk maybe about those experiments in a little bit more details. main objective here is, of course, to remind where we came from and where, what is ahead of us. And uh, basically, um, the themes for discussions are here, maybe after the talk, essentially those that are the solar system tests still relevant. Uh, still useful for improving tests of gravity? And then is there discovery potential in the tests of gravity, in the solar system especially? And then uh, what is the uh, importance of of those limits, of the improving limits in the tests? So this is very interesting because we live in the solar system. This is a gravity field that we are given and how we can utilize that gravity field. Because uh, as opposed to uh, accelerator physics where we can increase the energy, we are given the energy here and how we uh, can be smart to utilize what we have in the solar system. I'm my laboratory in the solar system. I'm not, I'm not going farther, but I'm, I'm, I will be here in, in this auditorium, but we'll be talking about the solar system. That's sort of the limits of uh, my boundaries where I will go today. And essentially what test is still viable? What test is still useful? But before we go there, let's go a few hundred years ago uh, in the past. So, 19th century, 1845, there was a wonderful triumph of uh, mathematical astronomy. And essentially, 1845, Urbain Verrier, at that time he was a director of uh, observatory, uh, Paris Observatory. It was a wonderful um, year when he realized that basically there was anomalous in, uh, Uranus, uh, in Uranus's orbit. And this is how Neptune came about. Because based on Newtonian gravity, he was able to calculate position. And he and Adams got position of uh, Neptune quite Adams, uh, Adams's position here and Leveria's position here. And, of course, in 1945, the planet of N- Neptune was discovered. And he was so excited when he realized that uh, based on the calculations, he can discover a new planet in the solar system. Therefore, when people were talking about the anomalous precession of the Mercury in orbit, he realized maybe there is another <coughs> planet hidden just between the Orbit of Mercury. Uh, uh, yeah, just uh, uh, the, uh, there was another planet uh, uh, just just between the Sun and the Mercury, and he actually conjectured that there is a planet. He called it Vulcan, and he actually thought that he observed that Vulcan, that planet, and but uh, nobody confirmed that. So that was an interesting coincidence. That based on the Newtonian gravity, he was able to confirm in Newtonian gravity. He was able to find the planet of Neptune. The, uh, Neptune, but then um, uh, essentially he cast a doubt on uh, Newtonian gravity because Mercury uh, was not following Newtonian physics and therefore there was, uh, uh, th- this is uh, in Newtonian gravity, you see a wonderful ellipse here, but in, the, in general relativity, as we know, it the orbit precesses and that was the puzzle that was not uh, explained within Newtonian gravity. So that, that a precession is roughly 43 arc seconds per century. And as I said, it's not explained within Newtonian gravity even after we account for all the planets and all the perturbations. And it took Einstein when he, uh, before publishing his uh, paper in 1915 uh, uh, on, gen- on general relativity, he computed a possible orbit of Mercury. And when he, uh, after his computation, he realized that he has expected precession of uh, Mercury and perihelion was about 43 arc seconds per century. When he he done that, he realized that yes, new era in test of gravity in general, in in gravity has just begun. And uh, almost in one year, almost in one year, uh, Leverier was able to confirm Newtonian gravity and then he cast doubt on uh, the same uh, Newtonian gravity that he was using successfully in studying uh, uh, planetary motion in the solar system. So that was the triumph in the 19th century. And uh, we know that our first experiment ever conducted to test gravity, uh, general relativity, w- was done by Eddington. And at that time, in the time of uh, Eddington, expedition by Eddington in 1919, there were wonderful three possible outcomes of this experiment. It is very, very difficult to achieve today because today we're pretty much testing zero. But back then, we had three possible outcomes. And the first outcome was... Of course, uh, people were arguing that uh, uh, propagation of light will not be affected by gravitational field. Therefore, deflection of light would be zero. And then, uh, based on the early versions of equivalence principle and also uh, based on Newtonian physics, there was an expectation that light will be deflected by solar gravity by 0.87 seconds of arc. And uh, Einstein suggested that it will be twice that amount, 1.75. And as we know... Uh, Eddington conducted his uh, test and it was quite difficult to have that expedition uh, to, uh, first of all, to get the funding for that expedition and then to conduct the test. And ultimately, the uh, weather did not cooperate and uh, he was able to see eclipse only just a few hours before the eclipse actually happened because on the island of Principe, there was a very thick cloud cover. And so when the actually sky broke, he was able to collect the data, but his results were... Somewhat inconclusive, but people were arguing that there was a confirmation bias in the time. And so uh, based on his first initial uh, analysis of, of photographic plates, he came up with a, a result somewhere between 0.9 and, point, and 1.8 arcs, seconds of arc. And so that was sort of initial um, uh, analysis of his data. Later on, it was uh, some people uh, reanalyzed the data uh, quite recently, almost uh, 10 years ago. And they actually confirmed that within 10%, Eddington got it right. So essentially using the old photographic plates, they were able to process the data again. And so we have to give him credit. So Eddington is here. Einstein is here, sitting in Cambridge in 1930s. And the Campbell's, uh, American astronomer, uh, director of Lick Observatory, conducted similar studies only a few years after Eddington's uh, analysis. And here, the telegram that he sent to Einstein saying that the... uh, Einstein's deflection of light was estimated between 1.59 and 1.86 seconds of arc. So basically that was an experiment that was done by Campbell only four years after Eddington, Eddington's analysis confirming really the general relativity. And so basically it was very solid confirmation that yes, indeed, GR works to explain a gravitational deflection of light. This is the formula for this effect. And on the solar limb, you see it, it depends on the radius of the sun and impact parameter. And parameter gamma that we will be talking about uh, through the lecture today. Parameter gamma is the measure of, um, gravi- uh, of, no- uh, of, of nonlinearity linearity in gravitational, uh, it is, is the measure how much a point mass produces the curvature of space time around it. Essentially, uh, we will talk about gamma. T- today we know that gamma was measured by the Cassini experiment to the level of roughly 10 to the minus 5. And so, but there's some motivation to test even beyond that level. So this is a first ever experiment conducted to test general relativity. And we know that today, GR works everywhere in the solar system. So we see those wonderful uh, Einstein arcs uh, 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 suggesting that general relativity can be used to, uh, light is being affected by the uh, gravitational field. And you see those uh, deflections of light and you see microlensing events. So we use general relativity to study other phenomena in the universe but let's go even further in time so this is a set of theories that people were suggesting to explain gravitational phenomena uh, throughout the years in this table i listed some of the theories that were proposed in the 20th century and a little bit earlier essentially starting from newton uh, from um, and then uh, i'm not saying that this is the complete list this is just an example of uh, different theories that people were putting together. And, of course, uh, those uh, theories are very different from each other. They're very distinct. Some people were using scalar fields to explain general uh, to, to explain gravitation. Some people were using vector fields. Some people were using mixture of the two. And then, of course, tensor fields were used. And then, again, the mixture between tensor vector and scalar fields. I'm not going to talk about each of those theories uh, in, uh, in, in detail, but I will just highlight that. Basically, some people were proposing not one, not two, but multiple theories throughout the years because it was an interesting task for theories to propose something that would be very distinct from general relativity. And because at that time, there was not enough experimental data to actually uh, 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 check between, uh, to actually tell between those theories. People were proposing uh, uh, very different formulations still within a few tests that were available at that time. For example, a deflection of light or uh, gravitational time delay that we'll be talking through, through the lecture. But uh, some people were um, at, at that time it was very interesting because uh, experimental data uh, base was not uh, big enough, so people were uh, uh, suggesting different formulations. And uh, some theories just variations of others. Some theories were proposed in, in, uh, in the very early uh, 20th century. But uh, once we started the space era, once we started to test the gravitation to very high precision, uh, it, it became even more interesting because in 1960s and 1970s, when the space era began, so we um, were uh, suddenly a lot of data became available, and essentially people were trying to uh, put a phenomenological framework that was initiated here at Caltech. Cape Thorne, Cliff Will, and Ken Nordtvedt—they uh, started uh, work in. Um, parameterize post-Newtonian gra- gravity and some parameters. I think in, it was in PhD, PhD thesis of Cliff Will, essentially when he laid uh, the groundwork for phenomenological approach how to attack gravitation in terms of uh, high-precision experiments, and later on, it was uh, it, it became parameterized post-Newtonian framework with many parameters that we can test through experiments. And I will talk about this framework later. But looking at this list, this of course this list is incomplete. And just to cover myself, I'm saying yes, it's uh, overlooked. There are some theories that I didn't touch in this presentation. Just don't uh, n- 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 not necessarily have any strong opinion against or something. But this is something as an example. Let's put set of filters how we process this uh, f- number of uh, theories. And a very simple set of filters is here. So a theory, is mu- a theory must be complete. It should be not a law, but a theory. We can derive experimental results uh, from uh, based on first principles. It must be self-consistent. Uh, get the same results no matter which mathematics or, or tools are used. And then, of course, it must be relativistic. Non-gravitational uh, laws of... Uh, Physics are those that are prescribed by a special relativity, and then it has to be Newtonian; it has to have valid Newtonian limit. And based on that, we can eliminate quite a few theories right away. So that's sort of the the um, uh, step that I will be taking uh, one after another uh, by applying different set of physical constraints on the possible uh, field of, of, of theoretical um, uh, thinking. How uh, we can explain gravitational. For example, Newtonian uh, uh, theory of gravity, uh, 1686, is just non-relativistic. It's explicit explicit action on the distance. Then we talk about uh, Poincare, Fierce-Pauli framework that became very uh, important very recently when we start start, uh, talking about massive gravitons and possible contributions of massive gravitons to explain uh, phenomena that we see in the large horizon scale physics. So uh, then uh, some theories uh, were, just for example, in Birkhoff theory, it's not Newtonian. It it demands the speed of light equal to the uh, uh, speed of sound. And uh, again, I will not be going through those theories one by one, but uh, essentially each of those theories that will be eliminated from the list will have a certain uh, conflict with the reasonable approach that we take in understanding what gravitational is. So then um, um, in 1960s... uh, uh, it was very interesting development when people were uh, thinking about how to explain uh, equivalence principle. And as we know it, equivalence principle today is, consists of three basic postulates of three, three principles. It's, uh, uniqueness of free fall, validity of local Lorentz invariance, and validity of local position invariance. I will talk about those three in the uh, next few charts. But basically, if we impose a validity of equivalence principle, we see that uh, theory by Kaluza, klein and, Benef- and belifant Rihardt, uh, those theories are not uh, valid. This is a very interesting theory because it's uh, multidimensional. It's not four dimensions. It's f- uh, they impose another fifth dimension, and Kaluza, klein theories or class of those theories uh, very recently became again very popular in, uh, as a possibility of embed physics in a multidimensional manifold. And uh, trying to explain physics from that standpoint. So, but at that time, uh, based on the initial formulation of this theory, this theory was not uh, considered viable based on the, in, uh, the fact that it, it confronts uh, um, Einstein's equivalence principle. So here, basically, Billy-Fantasy-Hard theory of 1975 is not a metric theory. Because uh, uh, if we impose validity of Einstein's equivalence principle, Pretty much, you can see that uh, it mandates that a theory must have a, uh, that a g- gravitation must have a metric nature, and so essentially, gravity is uh, uh, and, and matter interact through a, a metric field, and that this is why uh, some only metric theories of gravity are viable in the context of uh, studying gravitation, especially in the weak field limit. Uh, so, uh, let's talk about experiments that were conducted. Uh, to improve the test of equivalence principle starting from Utrecht, uh experiment in uh, uh, very late uh, uh, 19th century when he conducted uh, his initial experiments uh, which measured equivalence principle to the uh, level of roughly 10 to the minus 8 and what, uh, and what we measure here on the y-axis is delta A over A. What is delta A is basically when we study the free fall of two bodies composed from different material and we study uh, their Fallen in the u- uniform field, uniform gravitational field. And so when we study acceleration of each of those bodies, the difference between the two accelerations divided by the sum of the two accelerations, essentially this is earth parameter. And uh, so um, studying those uh, experiments all the way from, uh, from the late 1990s, uh, from, from the beginning of 20th century all the way to pretty much uh, present day, we see that the tests improve from 10 to the minus 8, to roughly 10 to the minus 13. And the most impressive uh, progress in those tests was achieved in the laboratory experiments conducted in Seattle in the group of Eric Adelberger. And essentially, this is Outwash experiment. Uh, so um, what they were measuring is the equivalence between uh, forces of inertia and forces of gravity. Remember those uh, famous Einstein's elevator, that uh, a, 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 an observer moving in a world line Cannot not distinguish between gravitational effect on the, and the inertial acceleration, essentially on the world line. But if this observer will start moving in the elevator or start, or start dancing in the elevator, he will immediately feel different forces which uh, basically uh, come into the picture. But here, equivalence between inertial and gravitational masses, it's very important um, outcome of this uh, uh, of this principle unique, uniqueness uniqueness of free fall and this uh, 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 this equivalence will be tested in in many different experiments. When we start putting these uh, thoughts together, we see that delta a over a the earthwash parameter can be composed as as, as, I, as I mentioned the difference between the accelerations of two body divided by the half of the sum of these accelerations. Um, when we analyze this uh, uh, formula from the standpoint of parameterized post-Newtonian formalism, we can see that basically uh, at some point we can arrive to, the, uh, to this expression, which will be uh, equal to the difference between uh, ratio of gravitational to inertial mass of one body minus gra- gravitational to inertial mass of the second body. This is very interesting because um, if, we put, if we start studying... If you start studying the strong equivalence principle, when we also put a gravitational energy into the mix, not uh, in addition to all the other interactions, in the parameterized post-Newtonian formalism, we can express this ratio mg over mi, which w- will be equal 1 plus this ratio, where omega is a gravitational self-binding energy, and this is the uh, energy of uh, its rest mass uh, multiplied by the uh, speed of light squared. Uh, eta is a dimensionless parameter, and in general relativity, eta uh, uh, is pretty much is zero. Uh, but for arbitrary theory of gravity, uh, such as scalar tensor theory or any other theory, which they analyzed in the parameterized post-Newtonian context, you see that eta is equal for beta minus gamma minus uh, 3. For uh, parameter beta and gamma, the two Eddington parameters that Eddington essentially introduced in uh, 1920s to explain possible deviations from general relativity. And those parameters beta and gamma are both equal 1 in general relativity. And you see that in general relativity, delta A over A is pretty much 0. It doesn't depend on the gravitational self-energy. So uh, in the sense, uh, to test strong equivalence principle, you need gravitational bodies of uh, large uh, planetary sizes. And we do that by studying, for example, lunar laser ranging. Those experiments that were done since, 1960, uh, since the beginning of 1970s when the Apollo landers uh, landed on the moon and essentially astronauts carried out from the landers uh, uh, arrays of retroreflectors. And since that time, uh, we are ranging uh, to those arrays. Uh, and uh, it takes light to get from the Earth uh, to the moon roughly 1.5 uh, seconds round trip but then we measure the distance to uh, a few, uh, few millimeters presently. And so the distance is roughly what uh, 380,000 kilometers, and we measure the distance to a few millimeters. And that um, precision gives us a lot of information as to how this binary, the Earth and, this, uh, and, and the Moon, moving in the gravitational field of, of the Sun. Essentially what we do, we drop Earth and the Moon in the, gra- in the gravity field of the Sun, and we study the difference of these accelerations. Uh, between uh, earth and the moon, because basically uh, they uh, have different composition, these two bodies, and dropping the two bodies in the gravitational field of the sun allows us to conduct the same type of experiments that were done in the laboratory, dropping two different masses or providing uh, them with different set of uh, dynamical conditions. And so let me also highlight a couple things. Uh, First of all, uh, in this chart, we see that uh, there are some funded projects, the f- projects that were either conducted or those projects that uh, sort of already been done in, in the past. So this is the present history. But looking in the future, what to expect in the near future? There are a few experiments that are already running, and there are some experiments that will be in, uh, in operation very soon. Apache Point Observatory, lunar laser engine operation. This is a very recent um, coming a uh, uh, facility for uh, to enable lunar laser engine that is uh, funded by a National Science Foundation and uh, NASA and it is operational since 2005 they are ranging the moon uh, with precision roughly five millimeters today so we are limited by inability to model the lunar interior now and there are some effects that are coming from uh, basic physics uh, such as thermal expansions and uh, solar radiation pressure and some interesting phenomena on the level of uh, roughly just under one centimeter. We have a very good model which uh, allows us to fit the data to roughly 25 millimeters, but getting down to a few millimeters is is a challenge because so many different effects coming into the picture, and at some point, maybe in a few years down the road, we will be able to fit this uh, data to a few millimeters, and then we should be able to see if the moon has liquid core, and if inside the liquid core there is a solid core, because the, the, the data that we have now indicates just that. So we have a very interesting ways, uh, way of looking into the interior of the moon. But then, in addition to the lunar interior, of course, we are able to study the dynamics of the lunar uh, motion around around the Earth. And essentially, by that, we can um, study uh, gravitational, um, the possible temporal variation in a gravitational constant, and we are able to test uh, for equivalence principle. Uh, so Apache Point is expected to reach a uh, precision of um, a few a few millimeters. I would say maybe in a few years. So uh, I, I should probably move this date to roughly to 2020. But uh, this is what to expect in the near future. Then Microscope will be launched in 2014, and Microscope is a French mission uh, which is funded partially by the CNES French Space Agency and also by uh, uh, ESA. And so microscope should be able to uh, uh, check equivalence principle to the level of roughly 10 to the minus 15. In addition to those missions, those that are in magenta colors, those that are just proposed projects that are not funded yet, but uh, people are thinking very hard as to how to improve those tests of equivalence principle below the level that is uh, achievable, will be achieved by those uh, experiments that are in the running already. And the most important, I think, the, uh, the, the most challenging, of course, is the STEPS, step, uh, Space Test of Equivalence Principle, which is trying to, ch- uh, to test equivalence principle to the level of 10 to the minus 18. This project is b- was studied uh, for a number of years since probably uh, uh, very uh, late 80s, and it was studied here in the United States and also in Europe, funded by ESA and uh, NASA. But still, this project is on the design, uh, on the design, in the design stage, and it's not funded currently. But there are many people who would like to see it flying. Uh, GG Galileo Galilei is an Italian project that is led by Anna Nobili, and Anna is very uh, eager to see her mission flying as a small, small payload in the uh, in the upcoming Cosmic Vision exercise, and hopefully she will be able to get some action pretty soon. But then. So this experiment is uh, is very different from what step is doing, and uh, so very interesting to see if uh, she will succeed to get his project uh, her project funded. Uh, what is here which is very relevant to what we'll be talking today the, uh, this is essentially quantum uh, f- uh, quantum project that is using uh, atoms called atoms to test equivalence principle. I think they will be using two species of rubidium atoms and uh, trying to uh, uh, to um, test equivalence principle to the level of 10 to the minus 16. This is very interesting because new technologies are coming into the field of general, uh, test of general relativity, and especially quantum, uh, 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 the cold atoms, which is a pro- very promising and emerging technology as to, uh, uh, as far as the test of gravity are concerned. I will be talking about uh, precision <coughs> clocks and uh, atom interferometers throughout the talk, but. The, uh, so sort of here, this is one of the projects uh, which, uh, which is being studied in Europe. And this is, uh, w- uh, in addition to Qantas, there are uh, some other experiments that are being now considered by European Space Agency uh, as to, uh, f- for the purposes of improving the test of gravitation using very simple atomic systems. Moving on. So uh, there is another principle that we... Uh, yes? Those are weak. Right? They, they be to all Correct. Basically, uh, all of those um, experiments, uh, with the one exception, Apollo, Phobos laser engine, uh, this, uh, using, uh, this is lunar laser engine and the Phobos laser engine. These are the two that are going to be uh, studying the strong equivalence principle. Everything else is a weak equivalence principle. So this pretty much laboratory experiments where we don't really see, uh, have access to a large uh, self uh, uh, gravitational uh, binding energy, and only with uh, Phobos experiment and Apache uh, and uh, Lunar Laser engine we have access to much larger uh, gravitational uh, binding energy. So moving on, testing for Lorentz invariance. Um, um, those uh, theories that violate Lorentz invariance are already in the in the red here. They're quasi-linear theories that predict existence of preferred frame effects, and so essentially. Uh, um, in general relativity, all reference frames are equivalent, and essentially you can, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a principle of covariance. When you have a different set of coordinates, you can transform, you can go to different reference frame, but physics is still the same. But some theories actually predicted the existence of preferred frame where some, where some physical phenomena would uh, uh, obey a different law. So essentially, a slightly modified, and some uh, some preferred uh, frames were predicted in uh, Desert, Lorentz, and Bolini, gambier Timno theory in 1970. So those theories that predict existence of preferred frame essentially violate Lorentz invariance. Um, moving on, this is the set of experiments that were conducted to test Lorentz invariance, starting from the famous Michelson-Morley experiment. And the parameter delta here is um, expressed as a ratio of the speed of light with respect to speed of uh, uh, sort of basic uh, massless field propagation that is prescribed by a particular theory. And so, uh, for example, uh, Michelson-Morley experiment measured that parameter delta to roughly 10 to the minus 2. And moving on, this is a wonderful field where precision clocks are coming very, uh, very helpful. Cavities and precision clock comparison are very important to test Lorentz invariance. And Many theories, many experiments were conducted to really improve those tests. What Lorentz invariance is, is uh, it suggests that outcome of uh, very small scale experiments essentially does not depend on orientation or velocity of the laboratory. So it doesn't matter how your laboratory moves in the inertial space. Experiments should not feel the difference. Uh, uh, from, uh, f- from the standpoint of uh, Lawrence lo- uh, local invariance, uh, many experiments have been proposed using clock comparison, especially using clocks on, in space. And many experiments were, uh, were done using clocks in space, essentially transponder experiments, a laser ranging, laser or transponder experiments, ranging uh, experiments with a clock um, uh, on a spacecraft. One way of, uh, of light propagation is very important. Essentially, when we have a clock on a spacecraft, we can uh, study one-way light uh, radio wave propagation to and from the spacecraft. This is very interesting because we can test local Lorentz invariants. Uh, those experiments that were conducted, essentially, by different groups using either Michelson-Morley experiments or centrifuge experiments are using Hughes-Driver experiments. So, this is the current state of uh, uh, test of lo- local Lorentz invariants. But those experiments were very interesting to actually test the foundation of general relativity, which is, in, in a sense, when we take gravity away, special relativity uh, remains there. And the framework that was done by Mansour and Sexel in 1977 was very handy to test uh, for any possible violation of Lorentz invariance. Being put in the simple terms, when you have Lorentz transformation and you uh, basically put by hands some parameters, which uh, may be velocity-dependent velocity terms. So when you expand uh, this Lorentz transformation, we're putting by hand essentially parameter A, which is dependent on V over C square through parameter alpha, and uh, beta, and delta. In special theory of relativity, you see parameter alpha is minus 1 half, parameter beta is just 1 half, and delta is zero. So now you are able, by, by doing this, you are able to expand your parameter set and essentially check for a possible uh, orientation of velocity dependence of your experiments. And it is interesting because you have a natural we have we have natural frame which is set by clo- a cosmic microwave background, and we have laboratory frames. So basically, we have to, th- few velocities or few directions of move motion available to us to see if our solar system or laboratory on Earth moving with respect to those uh, directions. And these are the interesting outcomes of this of this framework. When we talk about Michelson-Morley experiment, which is orientation-dependent, we are dealing with this uh, combination of parameters, which is one half minus beta plus delta. kennedy thorndike experiment, which are velocity-dependent terms, uh, will uh, have parameter beta and alpha in, this, uh, in, in the amplitude. And then the contraction and dilation are being sensitive to parameter alpha only. So those tests that were conducted recently, starting from the, from the beginning of this um, decade to roughly to 2009, were able to test those parameters to very, very imp- impressive precision. Michelson-Morley parameter was tested to roughly 10 to the minus 12, and then uh, Kennedy-Thorndike experiments conducted by Peter Wolf and colleagues tested parameter Kennedy-Thorndike combination to 10 to the minus 7. And then testing uh, contraction and dilation was done to similar precision, so that's how well we know that our laboratory uh, in locally based uh, uh, Lorentz invariance and essentially does not depend on orientation or velocity of the mo- of the motion. And in addition to those tests, the experiment uh, experiments <laughs> conducted by a Harriman at all. And reported in 2009, tested the isotropy of the speed of light to very impressive precision, precision 10 to the minus 17. So this are all laboratory experiments, which are very important when we think about astrophysics and cosmology, which we'll be discussing in the n- next few talks. But this is the foundation which we use to move from the solar system going out and uh, studying the universe. Uh, so moving on, uh, there is another uh, set of principles we, we called uh, local position invariance. And uh, local position invariance. Basically, uh, you see those theories already violating local position invariance based on different principles. Essentially, there are, uh, those theories would uh, uh, use not 4 dimension manifold, but basically three dimensions plus another dimension uh, for time, or two times uh, two time dimensions, or different stra- uh, or different stratified theories of gravitation, which were, uh, for. For, uh, which would prescribe different uh, backgrounds for propagation massless and massive fields, and so essentially uh, those theories that would violate uh, local position invariance are shown here on this list. And so uh, as uh, we move uh, forward, you see how those theories will be eliminated one by one through this list from using uh, applying different uh, principles that we discuss. But uh, local position invariance. This is a set of experiments that are very interesting. Again, uh, what we test here is a parameter alpha studying gravitational redshift in this case. And the local position variance uh, suggests that uh, outcome of any local non-gravitational experiment is independent on when and where in the universe the experiment is conducted. So it doesn't doesn't matter if we conduct experiment on the surface of Earth or or using spacecraft or studying spectra of uh, Extrasolar system sources. And essentially going from Pound-Repka experiment and including hydrogen measure experiment that was done by uh, Bob vessel in Smithsonian Observatory and all the way to the future planned mission that is ACES, uh, Atomic Clock Ensemble in Space. So Atomic Clock Ensemble in Space uh, is going to be launched in a few years by European Space Agency. It is well funded now and so it attempts to test for uh, redshift in particular parameter alpha to 10 to the minus, approaching 10 to the minus 7. But there was a very interesting recent result that uh, still uh, sort of, uh, uh, still is being debated in a sense, using uh, a Bose-Einstein condensates to test for uh, local position invariance and using Bose-Einstein condensate done by uh, Mueller, Peterson, chu and reported in 2010. This uh, BEC interferometry essentially was able to Um, access the region of roughly 10 to the minus, uh, approaching 10 to the minus 9, which show how interesting the new technology is, promising us even better precision, and essentially Bose-Einstein condensates may come very handy in many different fields, especially here, local position invariants. Why we are sensitive to, uh, they they conducted a laboratory experiments, but why why would you ask they are sensitive to local position invariants? as the earth moves around the sun, it moves on elliptical orbit, right? So gravitational field of the the sun varies because of the ellipticity of the orbit. So the laboratory has been submerged in different gravity fields throughout the year. So essentially you can check for alpha, uh, just that. So delta nu over nu is the frequency of your your, uh, oscillator that you are uh, using and the variation of gravitational potential throughout the orbit of the sun uh, of the Earth moving around the Sun. So they were able uh, to check for a possible um, violation of local position invariance to the level of roughly 10 to the minus 8, uh, three, time, uh, 3 times 10 to the mi- I'm sorry, 7 times, uh, times 10 to the minus 9. And ACES is only uh, going to achieve that result in maybe a few years down the road. So it shows the sort of, uh, in, in some sense, high promise of the new technologies that we are going to, to, to talk about through this workshop. And the test of gravity which is very impressive uh, moving on let's go back to the basics of general relativity I will bother you with few charts uh, where I will show some equations but it just very lightly in a sense so I'm talking about uh, the action of general relativity which is very simple in mathematical terms we're talking about the Ricci scalar Ricci scalar is composed from Ricci, uh, from from, uh, from, Ricci, from Ricci tensor and the gravitational uh, metric uh, of, uh, and the metric of a space-time uh, the uh, Ricci tensor is given here which is a function of uh, essentially uh, the Christoffel symbols. Christoffel symbol is the first derivative of the metric tensor then the Riemann, uh, the, the Ricci tensor will give you second derivative of the metric tensor. When you do, when you add to the mix uh, the action of a standard model which is given generically here and you take a simple variational principle, you can essentially arrive to equations of uh, general relativity, where in addition to the standard uh, terms of uh, this uh, that are known in the equation, I have put uh, the cosmological uh, parameter in. And so cosmological term here, lambda, is measured recently by WMAP experiment, essentially, when we impose the vacuum uh, density and essentially, it leads to very, uh, very little, uh, very small uh, value for parameter lambda. And essentially, no experiments in the solar system are going to be sensitive to cosmological constant, essentially. And cosmological constant will produce no measurable contribution to any experiments uh, in the near future in the solar system. Pretty much, we, uh, this contribution is uh, roughly eight orders of magnitude below the present level. So it's not really possible to detect to actually try to uh, test for uh, cosmological constant in any experiment in the solar system. Therefore, in the future uh, discussion in this context today, I will just not use that parameter because it doesn't contribute. As as an alternative to general relativity, uh, people consider it as scalar tensor theories of gravity. And here I show a very simple extension of the simple and elegant uh, action of uh, general uh, relativistic uh, 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 general, general relativity onto uh, uh, generic scalar tensor theory where, para- where function f is a function of a scalar field, g is also a function of a scalar field this is the kinetic term, this is potential term and very simple combination of those functions produces a famous Brahms-Dicke theory that was proposed in 1961 where you take f of y is basically just uh, phi and so with, with these parameters uh, so with, the, with this uh, set of functions, you get a very uh, famous Brans-Dicke theory. Why I'm talking about this is that uh, for each particular theory of gravity, we can produce um, expansion of the theory in terms of weak gravitational field at slow motion, and this is um, looking at the metric tensor, uh, the metric tensor that is coming into into these equations here and there. This is essentially the structure of the space-time that we are. Uh, observing the processes in and so metric tensor is now will be a function of those parameters those parameters beta and gamma that we saw before parameter g- gamma uh, and uh, beta and delta here so the, these are the Eddington parameters, those parameters that are entering the metric tensor and when we compose propagation uh, and when, when we study equations of light propagation or dynamics of the planetary bodies, essentially uh, we use that metric tensor this is why. Uh, the equations of motion for planets, spacecraft, and the light will all include uh, parameters that are in the metric tensor. And again, those parameters, now they represent different theories of gravity because when you expand a particular theory of gravity, you get a different set of parameters, gamma and beta. But now you have a very generic uh, metric where parameters beta and gamma just not fixed. And you can now study, for example, spacecraft motion or light propagation and you can conduct experiments checking for the value of those parameters in the full set of parameterized post-Newtonian formalism there is essentially ten parameters each of them represents a certain uh, conservation law and uh, the energy momentum conservation the angular momentum conservation and they would represent different uh, set of uh, uh, physical constraints for example alpha 1, alpha 2, alpha 3 those parameters are talking about preferred frame effects and so a parameter alpha 2, which is very interesting, I will talk about this parameter in the, in the, in the future. Uh, but uh, all these parameters are coming into the metric, and metric is not, uh, if you include all of those parameters, the metric will be rather not elegant. <laughs> so I decided not to show, but uh, if you would like to uh, have them, yes, definitely the full parameterized post Newtonian formalism includes all set of uh, 10 parameters. In general relativity, gamma and beta are equal to 1. In Branz-Dickey theory, um, uh, beta is 1, but gamma now depends on the coupling, the, uh, the strength of coupling of scalar field to matter. Remember, we're talking about this generic uh, uh, Lagrangian, essentially, and so omega is the, is the coupling strength. So parameter gamma is a function of that, of that coupling strength. So now, when we, ch- uh, when we conduct experiments, we can measure the value of gamma and beta and put constraints on, on for example, on this uh, theory, Brans-Dicke theory. So, using this metric tensor, we derive equations of motion, and so these equations of motion are in the planetary, uh, in, the, um, in, the equ- in the in the in the in the equations that we use to navigate spacecraft in the solar system and study light propagation in the solar system. So, so this is. Uh, uh here you see those equations of motion. This is pretty much its a Newtonian contribution. And mg over mi, we use this to account for possible deviation of, uh, uh, of, of, of for possible violation of equivalence principle. Uh, as we know, in general relativity, mg over mi is equal just 1. But now if we unfold this ratio, you see that now a parameter beta and gamma enter in here and so that allows us to uh, check for validity of equivalence principle using uh, 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 spacecraft and planetary motion you see parameter beta and gamma uh, everywhere in this uh, in this uh, equation and also we put possible uh, temporal variation of gravitational constant in so if there is a uh, pos- if, if there is a variation of gravitational constant with respect to time or position so we can put this, uh, this, uh, this additional term in the equation and study and put constraints on it. So that's, this are the set of equations that we use to check for gamma, g dot, uh, mg over MI, and beta. Essentially, this is the light equation. Uh, we studied this is the famous Shapiro delay. It's time delay when the light goes by the gravitational source, it's being delayed by that gravity of the, of the source. And again, you see parameter gamma here. So moving on. Uh, some theories uh, were predicting that uh, gar- uh, parameter gamma is equal 0 or minus 1. Basically, there were uh, mostly uh, theories that were using uh, scalar or vector fields to explain gravitational phenomena. And we know from the Castini experiment that gamma is measured to the level of 10 to the minus 5, deviating from 1. So therefore, those theories that predict uh, gamma being equal uh, 0 or minus 1 fail immediately. And so basically there are quite a few different theories fail uh, by uh, predicting our own uh, value for, for post-Newtonian parameters. Moving on, this is the table. We discussed a number of those theories, but now uh, from a theoretical standpoint, you can expand those theories in the big gravitational field and slow motion, and you can see, you can see that... Uh, the ten parameters that uh, are present in the general, in, when analyzed from the general relativistic standpoint produce the full following values. For GR, gamma and beta equal to 1, and every other parameter is equal to 0. I'm not going to talk about every uh, theory again here, but you see that each of those theories have quite a different set of parameters based on the particular mix of fields and particular set of approximations and assumptions used within those theories. So these are the scalar field theories. And then basically moving on scalar tensor theories, you have a uh, different set of parameters. Gamma again here uh, depend on the strength of the coupling between scalar field and the matter. In the, in the particular theory of gravity, beta is parameter that is set by a particular theory. Then vector tensor theories, metric theories, because some of those um, uh, approaches were using two metric tensors for different fields. And again, you see that uh, those uh, theories predict a quite a interesting set of uh, uh, parameters. So uh, the reason for me to show this to you is just to indicate that there is a very interesting phenomenology already accumulated for the last 25-30 uh, years where the set of uh, theories that we had initially is uh, being analyzed and uh, now we have a very, stri- a very uh, precise value for each of those parameters that we discussed. But as you see here uh, those experiments are now uh, 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 were able to eliminate another set of uh, uh, another set of uh, uh, theories in this case. Moving on, uh, there is another uh, interesting experiment that was uh, con- conducted. Essentially, with, uh, when I analyzed the mercury curcumin uh, advance in nineteen uh, eighty we noticed that if you analyze mercury curcumin, pre- recession. Uh, it is being expressed in the following R4, where uh, this contribution just uh, will be based on the orbit of the Mercury, and here the, this is the contribution of the solar gravitational uh, proto And essentially, until um, uh, recently, the, uh, there was a. So just just in time. So the, it, there was a threat coming from the gravitational protocol of the sun. Uh, for example, if J2 would be larger than 10 to minus, uh, 7, so then it would contribute a significant uh, part of the. It would contribute in a significant, significant manner to the mercury helium advance. So essentially, we were. Um, There was, a, uh, there was a significant motivation to improve the value of the uh, solar J2. And it was very difficult to do this. Based on the data, seismology, and genetic measurements of the uh, of, of the sun, people were able to constrain parameter J2 to roughly 10 to the minus uh, 7, 10 to the minus 8, but results were not very precise. So here, uh, very recently, uh, Alex Kanoply uh, from Jet Propulsion Lab and his colleagues in 2010, we were able to analyze a set of uh, planetary data of, uh, in, pla- in planetary spacecraft. They actually, the, this, the analysis resulted in the solar J2 being measured of roughly 1.9 10 to the minus 7. Therefore, uh, J2 is well known now, and, as, uh, and the Mercury perihelion advanced is being well described by, the, by, by, uh, by general relativity. But some theories, such as theory by Ni nee and Lee-Lightman uh, Nee, we're not able to describe that mercury perihelion advance uh, to the precision that is now being achieved in the experiment. Moving on, gravitational waves. I will, I will not be talking about gravity waves today because there will be next talk about uh, gravitational waves. But essentially, some theories predict, in addition to the quadrupole, uh, 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 there also scalar fields. Uh, the scalar field radiates uh, gravity, uh, waves, and so you see that binary pulsar was able to confirm that yes, to a certain level. First of all, this is indirect confirmation that gravity waves exist, and there also we are looking for. Uh, uh, this experiment was able to eliminate a few theories that predict additional contribution to gravity waves, and so essentially those theories by Rosen and Rastall, and Lightman, Lee, and Lee and colleagues were able to uh, uh, were predicting quite a different values for gravitational wave uh, radiation. So moving on, this is the list of parameters that we know them, as we know them today. Again, from the standpoint of uh, multiple experiments conducted in the solar system, you see that parameters gamma and beta are measured to a very impressive level, 10 to the minus 5 and 10 to the minus 4. And the other parameters are also measured to a very high precision uh, using different uh, data. Uh, yes. mm-hmm. So this is interesting, but then, so this is the present day. Uh, moving into the solar system, which is the laboratory that we live in, and we conduct our experiments, what we have today? We have the uh, in, uh, environment around the Earth, uh, which is characterized by the dimensionless parameter, Basic, basically gravitational, uh, gravitational potential around the Earth is roughly 10 to the minus 9 in, in dimensionless units. And the most uh, interesting parameter, uh, this, uh, the, uh, the, the largest uh, ratio um, of gm uh, over the uh, sort of characteristic length is going to be around the sun which is 10 to the minus 6 so this is our our solar system only three orders of magnitude vari- variation in gravitational potential but then using this uh, variation we can achieve quite an interesting velocities and acceleration regimes which will uh, allow us to test gravity in the even to higher precision but this is the, uh, the solar system we can utilize for improving test of gravity uh, in this chart, I will show the recent progress in the last 40 years in the test of gravitation. So uh, what we've done in the past, we were using uh, a, a jet propulsion lab, we were using radar ranging to planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, spacecraft, mariners, Vikings, pioneers, and so on. We actually done very long baseline interferometry, global position uh, system using the data to improve gravity. We also use laser engine, satellite laser engine, lunar laser engine, and soon there will be interplanetary laser engine. What I show here is the chart which measures on the y-axis is the, the unit curvature produced by uh, sort of the uh, unit mass. It's parameter gamma, and nonlinearity of gravitational superposition is beta, and we know that gamma and beta are basically just uh, one and one. And so there, quite a, there were quite a few dedicated missions. Lunar laser engine is 1969, is still ongoing. Gravity Probe B, Bob Veser experiment. And then uh, uh, recently launched uh, LARIS, Italian experiment that is g- going to be using uh, satellite laser engine to improve on the test of gravitomagnetic grav- 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 phenomena. And I hope I'm wrong here. I hope uh, to see this mission flying much sooner. But I'm sort of, uh, so uh, this is wonderful mission that we're all waiting for. And hopefully it will be launched sooner, but sort of the reality is such. So moving on, uh, Mar- Mars uh, ranging in 1976 constra- uh, constrained uh, this parameter space to roughly t- uh, deviating gamma from unity to-, to roughly 10 to the minus 3. Uh, Mercury uh, ranging is sensitive to gamma and beta because the orbit of Mercury is highly elliptic. And so we are sensitive to both parameters. So parameter space is constrained even further. So astrometric VLBI, which was done in, uh, two th- in 2009, constrained again parameter gamma less than 10 to the minus 4. And moving on, the lunar laser engine constrained again the space even further. So you see the combination of the parameters beta and gamma constrained uh, this possible v- violation of general relativity to less than 10 to the minus 4 again. And, of course, Cassiniian. Cassini experiment constrained this parameter space even further. So basically one can say, yes, so we, we, we can stop here because this is it. We know gravitational field is quite well. And so any possible deviation is within this in, is insignificant. And people may be right. But in reality, let's, go, let's talk about the following. As we speak, general relativity now became an applied discipline. So you, you cannot navigate spacecraft without accounting for general relativity if you want to achieve precision a measurement. For example, when we were studying a space interferometry mission, that is mission that, that will be measuring at some. Uh, so we were hoping that mission will be measuring uh, the um, angular uh, will achieve precision in astrometric precision, roughly one micro arc second. But now think about the following: light coming uh, in the solar system perpendicular to ecliptic at one astronomical unit from the sun is being deflected by the solar monopole to roughly eight seconds. And we're talking about one microsecond. So what it means is that you have to, f- to achieve the precision that SIM was uh, inter- uh, was aiming to achieve. You must include uh, general relativity in the model all the time because sun, doesn't matter where you look, gravitational deflection is there in the data. So you will have to include, for example, for SIM and Gaia. And Gaia is the uh, mission that is being now uh, radiated for launch in 2014 by European Space Agency will achieve precision of roughly one microsecond as well. So they are accounting for gravitational contribution of the Sun, Earth, Jupiter, and when you look close to the planetary bodies, you will have to account for gravitational deflection of those uh, of those um, uh, bodies as well. So but then uh, uh, summarizing uh, uh, the factor of 100 in 40 years it is impressive but it's not enough for the near future. And uh, let me just uh, maybe go quickly through the next charts. So the theories, some, uh, some theories that resist to fail, uh, based on the analysis that we had done, basically we have not been able to achieve the regimes where those theories were mostly uh, sort of, uh, for example, Planck-scale energy is needed to understand the theory by, uh, pro- proposed by Bill and Nordwitt and Helix and Nordwitt, Those theories, the vector tensor theories and deviations can only be significant large, uh, at, at large energies and so on. But based on this analysis, So, basically, people were concluding that aesthetic-based approach of the 20th century, um, um, basically, only that theory general relativity is valid because it's simple, it's elegant, and therefore, it it must be uh, considered as a standard theory of gravity. And, yes, it is indeed. It is being considered as a standard theory of gravity. But now, in 21st century, we have to move into different regimes where now we are faced with other challenges. How well do we know the gravity today? So this is my notional chart going from, from one micron it's in the laboratory and all the way to horizon scale. And essentially, uh, how well do we know gravity on those various scales and what theories do we have that predict deviation from general relativity and techniques that, we have, uh, that are available to explore gravitation on various scales. For example, in the laboratory, it is well tested to a millimeter scale. We just started to approach micron distances where we can... Um, Study uh, the, for a possible existence of fifth, fifth force, so, and here we know that uh, very difficult to conduct experiments, and we are approaching this region uh, only only today. So the theory is very well, uh, reasonably well tested within the solar system, and we just recently published a paper suggesting that the Pioneer anomaly is due to the thermal effects on the spacecraft. So I think we have a good handle on that effect, but flyby anomaly is still still uh, out. Of, uh, uh, and we still need to uh, invest some time to investigate flyby by is very interesting. So moving into the galactic scales, dark matter, and on the cosmological scales, the dark energy, of course, we need to understand those puzzles. Those are uh, the theories that are available today that we are trying to utilize to study this phenomena, especially in the large scale. We're talking about infrared-modified gravity, F of R gravity, brains, dwali gabadadza uh, parati strings. There are many different theories. Uh, which were suggested o- only within the last 10 years. It's a l- large list of theories which will not be, I will not be able to put this on the list. Essentially, that list that we show in the 20th century now kind of uh, sort of dimming a little bit compared to the list of theories that we have today that are being, being proposed to explain this interesting phenomena. So, essentially, when you talk about uh, dark matter, uh, Tevis, uh, STVG theories were proposed by uh, Milgram and uh, Bekenstein. Uh, and uh, uh, Moffat and some other people were trying to explain puzzles with dark matter by uh, possible gravity modification. They're very interesting. They're very interesting. This is a very interesting field for theorists, and this is a very interesting field as well. So moving on... Uh, What I see here is basically those experiments that are pretty much within from laboratory all the way to 1,000 astronomical units we can think about. And in fact, in the 1980s, I think JPL studied a Tau mission, uh, 1,000 astronomical units. And so Tau mission, people are already thinking how to get there. And technology pretty much within reach. We can think about possible experiments going all the way from laboratory from the Earth, all the way to, let's say, a few hundred astronomical units. And you know that Voyager today is roughly at, what, 120 astronomical units? So we're already there. We're approaching that uh, a big gap, and we're getting uh, our technologies allowing us to conduct controlled experiments all the way if, uh, if we need to uh, have a large potential variation or velocity variation. And then astronomical observations... Uh, which would utilize the signals coming from outside in the solar system. And so I'm separating the two controlled experiments where we fly laboratory, essentially a small-scale laboratory, where systematics is under our control, but we have to come, use either a gravitational filter, velocity, or some conditions that we create within the laboratory, or those uh, signals that we're getting from the extrasolar system uh, sources. And then, basically, different techniques are available to conduct those uh, different interesting experiments, cosmological missions, uh, uh, cosmic microwave background research, and so on and so forth. There are some theories that suggest that, yes, even within the solar system, we might be able to see something very interesting. A very simple model that was put together almost, what, 20 years ago by Damur, Norbert, and Palyakov studying a very simple model of uh, scalar field suggests that um, one can expect deviations from... Uh, from general relativity even in the, in the solar system scales at the level of roughly 10 to the minus 7 in terms of parametric gamma. Similar predictions exist for violation equivalence principle so people are suggesting that even within the solar system you may be able to come up uh, with an experiment that will test even further, even deeper the regimes and study possible uh, contribution of the scalar field for uh, present day physics. Moving on, if you look at the uh, uh, F of R theories where people just put in a very generic uh, Lagrangian that depends uh, through arbitrary function F from the uh, Ricci curvature. Remember that uh, gravitational uh, Lagrangian and general relativity has only uh, R, which is Ricci scalar. And now, uh, so now if you put just arbitrary function and you work your way through the approximation, you get gamma minus 1 and beta minus 1 will depend on the shape of that function. So essentially, it connects the two regimes, solar system, scale test, and all the way to cosmology. Moving on, again, the zoo of different theories that were proposed recently suggests that you can actually come up with a very interesting Lagrangian that is testable uh, through experiments in the solar system or uh, going through cosmological research. I'm not going to talk about those theories as well, but basically I'm just showing that, yes, indeed, in the 21st century, some of those new proposals are bringing back theories that we pretty much uh, dealt with in the 20th century. For example, kaluza klein theory, Branz-Dicke theory, and uh, uh, Birkhoff uh, and and fierz and Pauli theory as well. So there are quite a few interesting reasons to test general relativity and so uh, many theories are back uh, to the mix and we would like to try to test them. Looking in in the experiment that was conducted by Cassini using um, uh, radio waves at X band and Ka band, we were able to test parameter gamma to 10 to the minus 5 and essentially we were ne- uh, those frequencies are needed because uh, the higher frequencies you can come much closer to the sun, so impact parameter will be very, very small. And so the, smaller, the, the higher the frequency, the closer you come to the solar uh, photosphere and therefore you can uh, have a stronger regime for for, uh, for testing gravity. But now, uh, what, uh, what do we have? In the future, for example, the techniques that we discussed today already, very long baseline interferometry, currently the result is three, to, uh, 3 times 10 to the minus 4, but it is rather limited to 10 to the minus 4 because of the source structure. So we don't expect a major improvement from VLBI. Lunar laser engine the currently measures parameter 8 to, to, to 10 to the minus 4. In about 5 years we hope to get a one order of magnitude improvement. But then uh, there are some challenges in uh, modeling of the uh, lunar laser ranging um, uh, experiment uh, because of the lunar interior and some propagation effects through the Earth's atmosphere. Ranging on Mars will allow us to measure parameter gamma to 10 to the minus 6. Uh, tracking to Colombo at Mercury will probably lead us to 10 to the minus 6 Uh, measuring parameter gamma, and then optical astrometry, Gaia, will measure parameter gamma to 10 to the minus 6. This is what one can do as a piggybacking on somebody else's experiment. And now here challenge us to come up with an interesting concept using technologies that at hand, quantum technologies, to actually improve the tests using uh, solar system environment and improve tests below what is possible today. Uh, Putting this in the chart Present value of parameter gamma measured by Cassini in 2002. It is here. A parameter delta A over A for equivalence principle. Its present value is here. G dot over G is lunar laser range in 2007. And this basically different theories that were proposed to motivate a test of gravitation in the solar system. And this is what those theories predict. So uh, basically, Gaia, Bepi-Colombo, Phobos laser engine, gravitational time delay mission, later beacon will be able to improve. These are the missions that were proposed recently. will be able to improve this measurement of parameter gamma by a few orders of magnitude, and so on and so forth. And so... Um, The new emerging technologies, this is very interesting, and this is what I'm personally here to learn because uh, the frequency standards and the precision that we're able to achieve today in the laboratory and what we hope to achieve in the future flying optical clocks in space, this is very interesting, very impressive, and we hope to benefit from the stability of the optical sources at the level of 10 to the minus 16 or maybe 10 to the minus 17 in the laboratory because now we can improve the test of local Lorentz invariants. We can conduct experiments, testing gravitation in the solar system. This is very interesting. And matter wave interferometers, this is very exciting, a new world altogether because now we can use, use these devices to study the accelerations, or rotation, to do gravity fields of planets. And so these are the technologies that we are very much interested to see in the, uh, in the experiments. And so the purpose of this workshop is very much uh, to, to, to discuss these technolo- technologies as a possible uh, newcomer in the field. And this is my last slide. I'm concluding with the following statements, that recent technological progress essentially resulted in new instruments with unique performance. And I'm talking about essentially clocks, atom interferometers, because this are the very exciting technique that we very much in, the, in need in testing gravity in the solar system. And those techniques could lead to major improvements in the test of relativistic gravity and already led to a number of experiments proposed, especially to European Space Agency, that is funding those experiments quite, quite, quite well uh, through cosmic vision exercises or through other programs. And then the, there are some challenges in the solar system. Um, sort of dedicated space-based experiments are very expensive, so the science must worth the money spent. So it's very challenging to propose new experiments, standalone experiments. So the unfortunately the series of JPA, JPB, and JPC probably will not continue. So, but we gravity probe A, gravity probe B. So unfortunately, so this sort of logic is very difficult to, to achieve. But those experiments that we that are most relevant. It's test of equivalence principle G dot and parameterized post-Newtonian parameter gamma. So this is most uh, sort of relevant to the future uh, tests. But again, <coughs> uh, we have to realize that gravitational field in the solar system is rather weak. So we have to look for as much uh, f- for a mission scenario which would utilize either a regime of high accelerations or um, basically uh, gra- access to gravitational field of, uh, of the Sun or conducting experiments in the very close proximity to the Sun which is very important and so then look for those anomalies for example the flyby anomalies yet yeah, that is still uh, have, uh, exist may indicate something may indicate that it's just systematics on the spacecraft but all people some su- some people suggest that it may actually be relevant to some new physics and again I suggest that parameterized post-Newtonian formalism even though we discussed it today it became less relevant because Um, uh, Many theories that were proposed recently uh, sort of cannot be uh, placed within the constraints of parameterized post-Newtonian formalism because they predict different types of coupling and different uh, symmetries in the theory. So there uh, there is a need to do some generalization of this approach to other models. And then what is puzzling is that if we try to connect cosmological research to Solar system research. There is no really sort of one to one correspondence in the sense that some uh, language that we used in the solar system research, such as energy momentum conservation, um, uh, does not really translate well into the observables that are used in, cosmo- in cosmology. So there is a desperate need for maybe cos- cosmological PPN formalism so that we can make a correlation between the two, uh, two, two domains. And that's basically uh, all I have for the introduction as to what was done in the solar system for the last, what, 100 years and to bringing us to the present day. And hopefully, the technologies that we will be discussing through this workshop will improve those tests by uh, even more uh, to really reach a precision that uh, we can achieve in the solar system. Thank you very much. <clears throat>